Cameron and Jake are lifelong friends that love video games, movies, and generally all of nerd culture. Very original, right? Jake, that's me, has recently achieved a dream of mine to move to Japan, so Cameron and I stay connected with this podcast. Each episode, you'll join us as we take a nostalgic look back at the culture that we so love. This is Region Unlocked. Hey everyone, welcome back to Region Unlocked. My name's Jake. And my name's Cameron. And we are here to bring you some more awesome nerdiness about video games and all kinds of wonderful uh, stories from our childhood, all today in this wonderful podcast. So Cameron, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty well, Jake. I've just been chilling around the house, playing some Animal Crossing New Horizons. Ooh, nice. Just living my dream island life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've yet to jump on that bandwagon, but I really want to. Oh my gosh, everyone I know has been playing it, and here I am just piddling around, not... It's sad. What's your deal, man? Especially with all your train commuting. You, I know! It's perfect. It is. I've got a Switch, too. Oh, the bad thing is I left my Switch in Tokyo this time. No, 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 wait, <laughs> I brought it with me. Never mind. No, we're good, we're good. Okay. It's it's there. <laughs> that was one thing I did not forget this time. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, Jake, it is... At the time of our recording, it is right at the end of March. Yes. Uh, You know, much earlier than people are listening to this, but you have now been in Japan for pretty much four months now. Yeah, more or less. I was just curious, uh, what are your thoughts still? Have things changed? Are you still having a good time? What's it like? Well, aside from the crazy uh, world nonsense going on right now, um, I'm still having a good time. Uh, My thoughts have changed, but not negatively. Um, That's good. It still, believe it or not, has that uh, kind of vacation-y feel to it and i'm still being able to explore and things are still pretty fresh because i've seen such a little percentage of this place that i've wanted to visit for pretty much my whole life at this point up till this point so i'm really enjoying it but yeah here's to a lot more time to continue enjoying that so although what what would you say you miss the most about across the pond Across the pond, let's see, what do I miss the most? Uh, Well, for one, being able to speak English regularly. Japanese (laughs) is great, but it is difficult being a non-native speaker. (laughs) Yeah. It can get a little bit exhausting sometimes, so I do miss uh, speaking English regularly, and I also miss um, my friends and family, of course, which is why we're doing things like this, right? Podcasting. True. (laughs) Uh, How would you say your Japanese has gotten a lot better since being there? So, so not that much no. better? It, so, so, uh, my <laughs> Japanese is still not that skillful. Okay. Even though you it, like teach language, yeah, should it be it, a little better? It, it's improved, but not significantly, I'd say. I'm not a native speaker yet. Yeah. I mean, that's never going to happen, but I'm not fluent. Yeah. <laughs> that's got to be tough. Yeah. All right. Anyway, oh, well. Jake. Let's get into it. Today is... Uh, I, I'm so excited for this episode. I really? Feel like, Why, Cameron? Well, first off, I'm excited <laughs> about every episode because they're all great. <laughs> but more importantly, today we are talking about Star Wars. We're not talking about any necessarily game in particular, but the cultural phenomenon that was Star Wars in the late 90s to yes. the world. Yes. 
and I am so pumped to talk about that. I don't don't really even know where to start. Where do you want to start? Well, uh, you know, I'll definitely start with uh, saying I'm pretty... I'm pretty certain that Star Wars has been able to, uh, you know, stay pretty consistent throughout the decades. And just the 90s is a great place to start because that's kind of where we started with it, right? More or less. Um, I think uh, if it's cool with you, I'd like to start with a little bit of Star Wars history because this is where I get a little bit excited. Um, uh, The fact is Star Wars is heavily rooted in Japan, if you didn't know that. I didn't. Do tell. Yeah, so before George Lucas wrote Star Wars, he did some significant amounts of studying in uh, Japanese uh, theater and um, filmmaking. He specifically studied the films of Akira Kurosawa, who's considered to be um, one of the most famous Japanese directors of all time. And there's a lot of interviews with George Lucas talking about this. It's really cool. But he based Star Wars lore on Japanese lore originally. So if you don't know much, uh, if you don't know much about medieval Japan, it was a feudal period, meaning most of Japan was being ruled by individual uh, sections of the country that were ruled by shoguns or um, warlords, basically. Okay. And these, uh, and and that gave rise to well, uh, the samurai. If you've heard much about them, which are a class of almost knights of uh, of warriors who were hired to protect and hired to serve their shogun or whoever hired them okay and that is surprisingly similar to the concept of the jedi who were also a who are also a, a class of warrior that were uh, used to protect the galaxy which huh. is very star warsy yeah so um on top of that uh the jedi are well their 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 uh main weapon is a lightsaber right which they spend years creating and that was the same for a samurai they'd have their sword and that was theirs and each one was individually made and it it was personalized per se so you've got this class of samurai with these swords in these jedi and then they're training extensively to use these and uh, there's a genre of filmmaking in Japan called Jidaigeki, which means um, period drama. So it's medieval themed uh, TV shows. Did you and say Jedi? I said Jidaigeki, which we think <laughs> the name Jedi comes from because of oh, George weird. Lucas studying this. Yeah, the, the word je- Jedi coming from the word Jidaigeki. So huh. it's kind of interesting, right? And yeah. One of the films by Akira Kurosawa, that filmmaker I was talking about earlier, is about this gigantic war, basically, where this uh, person is trying to defend this princess. And the story, it's told from the perspective of two of the lowliest characters, these two little peasants who kind of wander around and tell jokes. Um, And that is where we get C-3PO and R2-D2 from the very first original Star Wars episode. Yeah. So the story is told from their perspective, for the most part, as they're traveling across this great distance. And that's exactly how the movie is. So there you go. That's a quick rundown of how Star Wars lore is rooted in Japanese culture. So check it out sometime. And even if you look up the 
robes of the samurai warriors, you will notice strong, strong similarities to the robes of the Jedi. So check it huh. out sometime. It's really, really neat. I'll do that. That's that's really cool. And it's a good point that like I think Americans, and me in particular, we don't really know a lot of Asian culture at all. Yeah. Mm. And because America, we're so tied to, you know, our own history of, you know, how we became a country and how we seceded from Europe, essentially. That's so, yeah. that's so much of the history we know. And we don't know Asia's history mm -hmm. at all. And because of that, I think that, like, increases racism in the world because it's just this complete barrier of understanding between these cultures of the, the East and the West. Yeah. And that sucks. And yeah, we should, does. I think... We need to be doing better at understanding that. And that's that's awesome that you get to be there and learn more about it. And I can't wait to eventually travel there once the world is safe again, if it ever yeah. is, and, and learn more. And mm -hmm. I think even tomorrow I might do some research, learn something cool. Because even like you surprised me when we were talking Mario 64 with uh, the Womps, the, you know, the concrete people or yeah. based off of some sort of... Uh, Japanese myth, mythological yep. creature, right? Yes, that's quite true. And it's dialogue like this that helps, you know, that helps stop any kind of barriers. So, yeah, just ch check some of this stuff out. It's really, really cool. And we've got all this technology accessible at our fingertips and all this history and all this uh, knowledge, essentially. So, yeah, more yeah, surprising like stuff it. all the time. And even Star Wars itself is very popular over here, too. And a lot of people don't even know that it was based in Japanese culture. So that's awesome. I like it. Yep. We're talking about the N64 in general so far. And when it comes to Star Wars, there are three main games that come to my mind on the N64. We've already talked about two is pretty much as much as I've got to say about those games. And that's Shadows mm -hmm. of the Empire and Star Wars uh, Podracer. Which mm -hmm. did you see that's coming out on Switch? Podracer is? It's coming out on Switch like a, um, a remastered no, version? No, no, it's just like the same game. What? Oh, did not see that. No. Episode 1 yeah, Racer? That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. Uh, I don't know who was asking for it, but you got it now. <laughs> Um, but the third major game that we've not talked about is Rogue Squadron, mm. which came out in 1998. And this game was pretty good. Now, I was yes. very bad at it, but it was a very good game. What do yeah. you remember about this game, Jake? What do I remember about this game? A whole lot. This was, I think, the first Star Wars game I ever rented from the video store. Okay. Mainly because my dad enjoyed it, and he probably doesn't remember this, but uh, <laughs> yeah. he was playing it, and he's like, hey, this game's cool. Let's rent it. So we went to rent it, and unfortunately, we got the wrong game. We got Shadows of the Empire, which is what got me on the Shadows of the Empire kick. But when I did oh, yeah. play Rogue Squadron, I remember enjoying it a lot, but it was apparently too violent, so I was only allowed to play like maybe 10 to 15 minutes, and then I'd have to turn it off. But that was one of the reasons why I enjoyed it what? so much, even though I so, never owned it. Okay, so you're saying, like, you only got 
those 15 minutes ever or you were only allowed 15 minutes at a time but we're still allowed to play it so you could still play it yeah just not for an hour because that's too violent for an hour (laughs) yep that was the gist of it if your parents are listening your your violence rules are weird (laughs) (laughs) yes and look where i am now japan crazy life yeah, I'm so violent now. Yeah, so violent right now. <laughs> Such a terrible person. But uh, anyway, well, I, gu- yeah. I guess their rules worked on you. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know. <laughs> Either way, it was a very fun way to spend my time playing as a ATST or a X-wing shooting things and little people that would blow up. That's another thing that I remember from this game is people blew up. Do you remember yeah, that? And, yeah, <laughs> they were little two-dimensional sprites yeah they, they would make like Wah! or these really weird noises when you <laughs> shot them they were not natural <laughs> screams and they exploded like in a burst of flame yeah well that's what lasers do to you yeah i guess so i guess we learned some physics from rogue squadron right yeah holy cow but that's what i remember about it just f- f- shooting stuff <laughs> yeah so remember this game was it was a lot of fun is essentially a, a dog fighting just completely flight based star wars game Mm. and i enjoyed this game a lot but i really only played the first few levels without cheats and then from there i just i wasn't good enough to actually beat these levels i'm pretty sure i've played through each one with cheats on at some point but let me tell you a bit about this game some facts that i've i've learned in my research so hmm. this game, it came out in 1998, and it was created by Factor 5, which I had not heard of, but they worked with LucasArts, and they were originally working on a sequel for a game called Rescue on Fractulus, or Fractalus. Hmm. I've not okay. heard of that. But that was a LucasArts game, but then LucasArts signed a three-game deal with Nintendo, and from there, uh, Factor 5 was able to convert the game they're working on into Rogue Squadron. Hmm. And this whole game is based off of that first Hoth level in Shadows of the Empire. Because so oh. many people liked that level that they're like, hey, like, why don't we have a whole game of this? And so they did that. And oh. so, yeah, this whole game was based off of that, which was great. It was a really good idea, and it worked really well. Yeah. And so, fun story. As they were working on the development, the kit that they had that they were building this for was actually not a standard N64 kit. It had the ah. expansion pack in it. So okay. they didn't realize they had been using the expansion pack because initially Nintendo planned on the expansion pack being a built-in or coming with the disk drive, which never mm-hmm. ended up happening. So it didn't exist in its individual form that we have in our N64s. Okay. So this whole time, they're like, oh, no, we're, we're using this RAM pack and they couldn't even get it to run without it. So hmm. they had to put in a ton of effort to compress the game. And through this, they kind of they took this case to Nintendo. And they're like, hey, you need to release the expansion pack commercially. And it helped because uh, Iguana Entertainment was putting out Turok 2. And they also hmm. wanted the expansion pack. So they kind of helped push this out to the public eye. And it was a great thing they did. And so eventually, you know, the disk drive, that didn't work out. But uh, we got the expansion pack out, and they did get the game to work 
with and without it, it just has twice the resolution with the expansion pack in, which is mm. significant. So it must look like crap without the expansion pack in it. Wow. Stuff you don't think about, though, when you're young playing it. Yeah, I, I guess wow. I, I would not have noticed. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's the case, though, with a lot of N64 games. Yeah. That, ex- that this, expansion pack, that makes a difference. Yeah, and this was a pretty graphically tough game because, mm. you know, it had to ex- had to build kind of a expansive world Yeah, that you're flying around at sometimes some pretty top speeds. So yes. they, they got to try to give you the biggest view distance as possible but Mm -hmm. this game still had you know some some larger structures would still pop in like at the last moment as you got close to them just because yeah there's a lot to render yeah totally i I think the real noticing things were kind of coming around with star wars episode one racer that's a game i significantly remember was uh noticeable with like frame rate issues i think because oh, yeah. of the expansion expansion pack too but we'll get to that it, a little it worked bit later. better with it yeah yeah it, it it certainly did but um yeah another thing that you mentioned just a second ago that i totally forgot about were the cheats this game had <laughs> cheats galore and like they had funny names too that you could easily remember <laughs> do I you remember, remember some one. of them i just one which one uh, chicken chicken if you put in chicken it puts you into this atst demo level where you're in atst and you just blew up all the people and all their houses and that was it yeah Uh, the rogue squadron 3d for pc if you use chicken as the cheat code you could also be an atst but it would take you straight to whatever level you wanted so you'd be the atst in the level but because it was so small and the lands are so great that even if you walked at full speed, sometimes you would never even get to the main area before everything would get blown up. <laughs> so it was kind of useless. Um, and it wasn't very fun to be honest. I like just having the idea of like what you said with the N64, having a, uh, just a giant level designed for the ATST. Yeah. There was also the cheat called farm boy, I believe. And farm boy let you use the millennium Falcon. It no, didn't. no, it was either the Millennium Falcon or the the Skyhopper race. It was one of the two, but that was the only the only other one that I remember as well. So, well, let me uh, do a quick googling and let's see what these cheat codes were. All right, <laughs> so Dead Dak got you all levels. Uh, Meek Man all levels, <laughs> including the bonus ones. All power ups, tough guy. Uh, alternate <laughs> title screen hard rock was that which one i know there was one that made that changed out luke for george lucas oh yeah, no there was actually there's a whole bunch of them so there's uh like one two three four five six seven, eight. there's like 12 that that put just a developer of the game on luke's head at the beginning oh okay flies hard as han yeah farm boy uh infinite lives i give up <laughs> <laughs> uh womp rat did the tatooine racing level the beggar's canyon womp rat that was it okay tied up the tie interceptor i love that <laughs> uh there's kolsch which turned the v-wing in the last level into a car it was like a buick or something that you could fly what around. oh yeah. man i never knew that 
that's one I don't remember. Holy cow. That's that's cool. So now the coolest one it was a a big old secret. And that yeah. is the Naboo Starfighter is hidden oh. in this game. So yeah. the the fun thing about that is they realized that this was actually coming out six months before episode one, Phantom mm-hmm. Menace, and they're like, let's try to put something cool in here. So they hid the Naboo Starfighter in the game and they did a lot of effort to completely hide it from other people working on the game. They screwed up like the code so like Game Sharks couldn't even find it. And then <laughs> when about six months later before the movie came out, they leaked the code and everyone freaked out. They're like, what? This was here the whole time? <laughs> and actually has uh, a record. Well, it's, it's been named the N64's most well-hidden code. That's amazing. Yeah. Props to them for that. I remember reading about that Nintendo Power saying the same thing you did. Like, whoa, this was hidden. Holy cow. (laughs) (laughs) Not those words exactly, but, you know, something similar. But the Naboo Starfighter. Oh, my gosh. And then Factor 5 later came out with a N64 game based around the Naboo Starfighter. Right. And it was also using the same engine as... um, Rogue Squadron did. Yeah, it looked. Really I never similar. played it, but it looked cool. <laughs> yeah. All right, Jake. Uh, I think we should just move on and talk about okay. the main attraction here. Yes. What the whole '90s of Star Wars was building to, and that was the release of Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Yes, indeed. Oh my gosh. The hype for this movie was insane. It it yes. was I mean Star Wars the original trilogy being known as one of the best movie series ever made and these people being told here what 15 years later that it's yeah. they're making these new ones and people lost their minds. They were so excited for this movie. And yes. The thing I remember most about this was the intense merchandising that happened before this. And maybe it's just because I was a kid and it was all targeted at me. But Mm -hmm. my gosh, the things I I remember the most was Taco Bell, Pizza Hut, and KFC. They're they're all owned by the same parent company. So they had some sort of deal. And... There's tons of toys. There's posters you could buy. I still have some of the toys in my closet. I still have all four posters that you could buy from Taco Bell where you you combine them. You have to buy them four separately, but then you put them all next to each other and they build like one giant scene. <laughs> Cameron, I think that's an understatement. I think you've still got all the toys <laughs> and all the collectibles. <laughs> I mean, they've, they've had no reason to go anywhere. They're still at my mom's house somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? I remember the same thing. So it must have worked because I just remember the intense merchandising as well. I first read about Nintendo Power, and from there it was Star Wars everything, everywhere. I didn't realize the significance of it because just like two years or one year prior, I learned about the original trilogy. So that that was actually <laughs> one of the biggest things right there that I remember is how much stuff you got and how much stuff you had. 
<laughs> and like you said, it was all the toys and the uh, advertising from these restaurants mm -hmm. that got people really hyped. Like they had the game board. Do you remember the game board with the little chips that you get from the um, from the cups? You'd have to oh. like collect the little chips, and if you got yes. all the chips, you'd win a it was cash prize. Like, it was like McDonald's Monopoly. Yeah, yeah, kind of. You'd win that cash prize, and you were all into that. You had almost all the chips except for that one rare one, and you'd have right. the game it's like, boards. Like Park Place, how you can't actually get that one. There's only like one in existence. Yeah, uh huh. But pretty much. Right. But uh, we must have gone to Taco Bell and Pizza Hut twice a week <laughs> before that. Yeah, and you'd get you'd you'd buy the individual packs too. I remember that too. But you were. You had everything, and I remember being just jealous. Like, why do you have all this stuff? I want it too. You've got all the cool Star Wars stuff. Let's visit Cameron. Yeah, I did. But uh, a lot of that, I think, like my mom was a, a big Star Wars fan growing up. Um, but the biggest fan uh, was my uncle, my uncle Mike, who, mm. oh, I just, I loved going to his house because mm -hmm. he, he was, you know, grown up nerd who had the money to to buy all these things he shouldn't be buying <laughs> responsibly <laughs> but he just had so many action figures I, I mean everything everything star wars he had like this wall of action figures still in their boxes he had mm -hmm. tote boxes just full of spare characters where he would just let us come over and uh he would we could buy an action figure for a dollar and we, and we could buy a ship for five dollars and hmm. so I would like, I would do chores around the house. I'd pick up sticks, just trying to get a dollar to go buy a new action figure. And every action figure I have, I bought from him. <laughs> I think I only have two action figures that I didn't get from him. One was Darth Maul and one was Django Fett that I had like bought myself. But the rest I got from him. And huh. he, he really added to that. He took me to go see the Phantom Menace in theaters and... It was just, it's, uh, I'm kind of trailing off. It's, it's tough. He, he died when I was in high school, but I miss him and it was awesome going to his house. He, he's part of why I love Star Wars so much. That's pretty awesome. It's neat that you have those memories too. So that's really, that's really special. Yeah. Um, well, I got st uh, started with Star Wars actually through my mom. So I remember that who's probably listening to this right now. Um, <laughs> it was a, uh, it was some like Disney sing along video and there was a quick screenshot of C3PO and R2D2. And every time they popped up, she'd be like, Oh look, there's C3PO and R2D2. So I started doing the same thing. It was like a quick video clip of star tours or something. Uh -huh. And every time we'd watch that, I'd say, look, it's C3PO and R2D2. And then one day, Mom was like, do you know what those are from, Jake? And I'm like, no, tell me about it. And the rest <laughs> is kind of history uh, from, <laughs> from then on. And this was actually in Germany back in the late 90s. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, back when we lived in Germany. And uh, that following Christmas, I got the original special edition uh, video cassette tape um, set. Mm -hmm. and then watched star wars from there so that's kind of how i got started with it and then that's awesome all the action figures and ships and everything came consecutive christmases and birthdays later so that's that's like my it. start with star wars i think the most proud i was in my collecting 
was that in episode one, they put out all of the, the Pepsi product cans that had uh, characters on them. <laughs> I think there was there was 24 cans, and then there was a 25th gold Yoda. I think that one, like, you won money if you if you got that one. Yeah, you did. But I remember it was really difficult for me to get them because I only liked Pepsi. I didn't like Mountain Dew, so I'd have to collect those cans from other people. Mm. And then I wasn't allowed to drink Diet Pepsi or Pepsi Zero, which, you know, the others were on. So I very slowly was able to collect them from family members and friends. And then I've still got a box of all 24 of those cans up in my closet at home with all the characters. And I think I have like three of them that aren't opened, but they have slowly like leaked out of the seams over the years. So they're like a quarter full. <laughs> and then that's the, what happens with soda. The, yeah. Uh, <laughs> the shelf is a little sticky where they've been sitting, Oof. but at least the tab is still sealed on the top. Yeah. Yeah. That's all that matters. Even though everything's evaporated out of it. <laughs> I remember those cans. Yeah. You had that whole collection and I was so jealous, but it was so cool just to see all those cans stacked up. <laughs> all right. Like, well, I, yeah, let's, uh, let's get to some facts and talk about the movie itself, the Phantom Menace. So I was curious, like why, why did the prequels exist? Because they, are so distinctly different from the original trilogy. Like, mm-hmm. tonally, well, maybe not tonally, but so much of it is just a completely different storytelling. What am I trying yeah. to say? It's got a yeah, different you, feel to it. It's got a it different does. aura, if you will. Like, the, uh, yeah. the art direction, even the writing feels different Ar- from the original. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's because it's all written by George Lucas. When yeah. George Lucas only technically wrote the, f- the first one, episode four, Mm-hmm. while then other people helped him with the others, uh, which is part of why people don't like the trilogy. And so before we get into it, you know, the prequel trilogy is notoriously made fun of. It's yeah. got tons of great memes. The memes of it are amazing. <laughs> uh, I love <laughs> prequel memes. And some people just hate it, hate it, hate it. And maybe it's because, you know, we were kids and it came out. I definitely see its flaws now. I still love the prequels. It's like you can't I think Star Wars fans are like the worst fans in the world where they only <laughs> it's like I love Star Wars, but if you love Star Wars, you can only like these two movies because even Return of the Jedi is not that good because of the Ewoks. The rest are all yeah. garbage. You can't like those. If you like those, you're not a real Star Wars fan. It's like if you only like two out of nine movies, I don't think you're a fan. <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's so true. Yeah. It, it, there's crazy people out there like that. But Anyway, so he came up with this idea because, you know, he, he actually came up with so much backstory to the original trilogy, but, you know, he, he had this vision in his head that it just, it couldn't be put to film. Mm-hmm. And then, so he had, let me just read you a quote. I, I think this was, was from Wikipedia. So it says, according to the original trilogy producer, Gary Kurtz, loose plans for a prequel trilogy were developed during the outlining of the original two films in 1980. Lucas confirmed that he had the nine film series plotted, but due to the stress of producing the original trilogy and pressure from his wife to settle down, he decided to cancel further sequels by 1981. However, technical advances in the late 80s and early 90s 
including the ability to create computer-generated imagery, inspired Lucas to consider that it might be possible to revisit the saga, which led to where we are now, with Star Wars being revitalized quite different than the original trilogy. Yeah. With mostly CG. It's crazy (laughs) how much CG is in these movies. Yes. Yeah, it became a... It became a standard for CG, actually. Star Wars did. Yeah. It, well, I mean, he created, you know, industrial light and magic mm-hmm. because of Star Wars. So yeah. the, the biggest CG company exists because of him, which is, you know, very impressive. Mm-hmm. Definitely. There's so much. There, there, there's so much in the world of, I guess, uh, um, firsts when it comes to Star Wars. And you know what's really kind of cool is we're coming right back full circle with the practical effects. People are getting a little tired of the CG, <laughs> like uh, quote unquote the child from the Mandalorian, yeah. Baby Yoda. It's all practical. He's just a puppet. Yeah, that's a good so, point. People are really wanting that again, and that's kind of what Star Wars started out with was practical effects. I mean, the effects are still pretty amazing from uh, today's standards, just because of everything that it, it accomplished. Through yeah. the use of practical effects, which are practical effects, if you don't know, are <laughs> the use of effects that are uh, right in front of you um, mm-hmm. without CGI assistance. Modical models, physical set pieces. And mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good point. Like, uh, Lindsay and I, we've recently been rewatching the Lord of the Rings trilogy, and the original trilogy mm-hmm. is so good and so much practical effects. Like, it's tons of extras and cosmetics and. Um, the Orakai look incredible. And mm-hmm. then fast forward to the Hobbit trilogy and it's just a blue screen nightmare of nothing yeah. but CG. And it completely takes you out of it because it's it just seems so inauthentic. Mm-hmm. You're right. I, I would agree. Um sorry to any fans out there who disagree, but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. But the Hobbit is bad. <laughs> anyway, so uh, I enjoyed it. <laughs> I only ever saw it in theaters and never saw it again. Ah, but gotcha. Let's continue. So, like we're saying, this was this was unprecedented. Star Wars is coming back to life. We thought it was done. It's here again, and the hype for it was unreal. So, these were the days before YouTube, and when mm-hmm. the original trailer came out for Episode One, they had it on their website, but the website was so completely gridlocked that very few people actually got to see it online. Yeah, and, and that was the days of like dial up anyway. So. What were you even doing online? Mm-hmm. So when the, when the trailer finally came out in theaters, it was attached to Meet Joe Black. Have you ever seen Meet Joe Black? I have not. It's, it's garbage. Don't ever watch it. I hate that movie. <laughs> anyway, so movie theaters reported that up to 70 to 75% of their ticket sales for Meet Joe Black were people walking in, watching the Star Wars trailer, and leaving. Holy 70 cow. Five percent were just going to see the Star Wars trailer and leave. Oh so my gosh! Any sales, it, any success of that garbage Meet Joe Black is completely to the credit of Star Wars. <laughs> Whoa! Holy cow! <laughs> yeah! Wow! Oh my gosh! Uh, that, that's that's unbelievable. But at the same time, <laughs> it's totally believable because there's no other way to watch stuff. Then by going to the movie theaters and no one could watch videos online at that point. 
unless you yeah, have like not- a mega expensive system. Right. Wow. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so then, as we know, you've probably seen footage of people camped out to go see Star Wars. That, that always happens. Uh-huh. And it's estimated that 2.2 million full-time employees skipped work to attend the film, resulting in $293 million in lost productivity for that day. So Whoa. many workers announced plans to skip work to watch the movie that many companies just shut down on opening day. Well, no. Okay. Yeah. That's interesting. But, you know, I can believe it. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, I think that's good on some facts. Let's talk about the movie itself. First off, mm. the yes. title. What does it even mean? The Phantom Menace. That's part yeah. of the magic getting people guessing who is the phantom menace what does that phrase even mean how can yeah. we know who it is yeah uh, <laughs> that's like pretty much it i remember not knowing <laughs> what it meant and yeah. then i think i was asking my mom and she tried to explain me that explained to me that it was palpatine and that palpatine is uh oh the phantom menace no he, sorry he <laughs> darth sidious <laughs> is chancellor palpatine mm. and I remember being so confused by that. I was like, oh, you, you mean the same actor plays both of them? And she's like, no, he's the same person. Palpatine is Darsidious. And I'm just like, what? Where was that in the movie at all? Like, how, how do you know that? Oh, my gosh. Before the days of complex, you know, geometric, think- geometric thinking. I remember thinking very similar things and not even caring what the title was. I didn't know what the Phantom right. Menace was. I just knew that, that was the movie. And then I thought Darth Sidious and Palpatine were two different people because one yeah. wore a hood and the other didn't. Exactly. <laughs> like, I just want to see Darth Maul. I want to see lightsaber battles. This is cool. But that's the thing with this movie is that it, it can't decide what it is. It's like, is it a kid's movie with really stupid Jar Jar moments? Or is it... <laughs> A political movie movie with way too much talking and political chatter and trade negotiations and <laughs> I think trade negotiations. <laughs> I think I still, as an adult, each time I watch that movie, like figure out something different in the plot because yeah. it's so muddy where it just it takes another watch to be like, Oh, that's why they're that's why they have a blockade. That's because like, none of it made sense. It was just action piece to action piece. That's all I cared about. And I tuned yeah. out all the, the dialogue. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure the word negotiation and committee I learned about from this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause they say it like 20 times. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's kind of amazing to think about what they had to fit in or what they maybe decided to fit into this movie. Because there's there'd been this twenty year absence prior, so like they might have been thinking, hey, let's fit in as much as we can to get people as a caught up as we can, and b uh, re re um, integrated into this new galaxy that we're creating. Either that, yeah. or maybe they just got a little too excited. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a lovable mess, I'd say. Yeah, it, it is. It is. I, I still enjoy it. The messiness aside, what do you say? What would be like your favorite parts of this movie and maybe the best, uh, I guess, legacy of this movie? Like, what did this movie do 
for Star Wars that you liked? Mm. Well, uh, my favorite parts were probably the pod racing scenes. And Absolutely. Well, not to be too uh, cliche, but yeah, at the same time, be too cliche, uh, the Darth Maul battle at the end, of course. Oh but the gosh. pod racing was my favorite, without a doubt. I think this movie is important in that it reignited interest in Star Wars, which at that point had been, I think, becoming kind of a, you know, an age-old thing, you know, a relic of history. But I think through episode one, it was able to become reignited in the interest of people. And from there, it's completely created a new cultural phenomenon that's lasted to this day, all because of this 20-year absence that led up to Star Wars episode one. So that's my theory. At the yeah, time, I didn't a, think a really anything of it. But yeah, that, that's, that's what I think. And now we're just starting to regain interest in the original trilogy it seems like yeah or look at them differently <laughs> yeah we, we definitely the per- perspective shift throughout so i'd say everything you said culture is is definitely huge one thing mm-hmm. i really liked about this is the world building is pretty good sure it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of dialogue but just being able to see so many planets where you know all we see in the original is this, you know tatooine hoth and indoor for the most part mm-hmm. it could be I mean, there's Yavin as well. Um, that being said, you know, now we got Coruscant, this beautiful city planet. We've got Naboo and we've got Geonosis. And it's just this this world being fleshed out that I really liked being able to see that instead of being trapped in, in just one location mm-hmm. in the originals. Yep. Also, the music. The music mm. is so good. And it's so unique compared to the original trilogy but you still kind of when you think about it now it's all one cohesive piece i guess i I felt very similar when uh the force awakens came out where it's like oh this is new star wars music like this is weird i don't know if i can accept this into my headcanon yet because Mm -hmm. i'm just i know what star wars music is and the prequel music is very different from the original Mm -hmm. trilogy um with the main highlight being the duel of fates that yeah. plays during the Darth Maul fight, which is one yeah. of the best lightsaber fights in the whole series. Darth Maul, this red horned, complete badass, yeah. with a dual bladed lightsaber. Yeah. Like, oh, so good. Well, he was right poor there. Ray Park, wasted with a, a one movie arc. Yeah, it's true. And well, he did come back alive in the Star Wars canon, like comic books and stuff. Clone Wars. Time. He's alive. Oh uh, yeah, Clone Wars. Um, Which is but that was the, Go watch the, Clone Wars if you haven't. It's amazing. Yes, do it, even though I haven't yet, even though I've heard oh. really good things about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. So anyway, uh, the Duel of the Fates, that was the first epic, crazy martial arts kind of stylized uh, lightsaber battle that we'd see oh. that started to become Definitely. kind of a thing, uh, something that people would look forward to. Until then, the lightsaber battles were more, more or less glorified fen- fencing matches it sure. seemed like maybe a little simpler, but this turned it into some stylized epic kung fu type thing. Yeah. So, oh, that's another thing. Look at the way that they do their lightsaber battles and lightsaber fighting. It's very similar to uh, um, kendo or the style of sword fighting in oh. Japanese culture. Cool. So, <laughs> yeah, the style. Well, let's see. One of the things I really like about the prequels in general which doesn't this point I'm about to make 
it's not a point that needs made because this is stupid. So <laughs> the prequels, they have a beginning and they have a clear arc from beginning to end where it was decided from day one what the story was that they were going to tell. Yes. Now, fast forward to 2015. Force Awaken comes out. I don't know what idiot at Disney decided to approve of this idea of let's make one movie <laughs> and then just make it up as we go. Like, what? How is, how is this the biggest company in the world, like, doing this? How? How are you just making up a Star Wars trilogy as you go, throwing around directors and, like, I... I like the new trilogy. I know yeah. it's, it's got a lot of mixed reactions, but again, I just like Star Wars. I'm not going to complain too much about it, but I will complain mm-hmm. about this. Like, why would you do that? The prequels, the faults they have, sure, it has a cohesive story. And yeah. I was trying to think of a good comparison for the new trilogy. And it's like J.J. Abrams, he came in and he built this beautiful foundation. Sure, it's very reminiscent of A New Hope, but uh-huh. it was a good foundation of, of questions people wanted answers to, of just a, of something to be good. And then Ryan Johnson comes in, looks at this foundation, and decides, no, I'm just going to build a real nice tent right next to this foundation, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then then J.J. Abrams has to come back in and drag the tent onto his foundation, you know? It's just, it makes me so mad. Well. Why, like, why would you... Again, how? How did this get approved? I think this is just my theory. Ambiguity holds audiences' interests. And on top of that, it's accessible. Um, I think that going in without a clear plan, which is what I would agree seems like kind of what happened with the most recent trilogy, made it accessible to audiences because they didn't have to think too hard. I think that it was, it it just, it, it, led it created this kind of veil of mist or like this cloud that slowly got revealed as time went on and then that kept people's interests so i disagree i disagree disagree i think you're right initially after force awakens yeah people were engaged there was it was theories 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 like no one stopped talking about these theories for two years and then Ryan Johnson's like, oh, I'm going to subvert expectations by doing everything opposite of what you think because that's good storytelling. And everyone's like, oh, well, that's different. And then he left no questions. No one talked about theories after that other than just like, <laughs> oh, I guess, I guess we know what's happening next. Kylo's bad and everyone's dead and... you know it's just well he crushed it in a bad way but it's really interesting to look at how this most recent trilogy kind of parallels the success and attention that the prequel trilogy got you got this first movie that people couldn't stop talking about and the hype was insane for and then the second one came out and then the audience reactions were so incredibly polarized and mixed and then people are just like what the heck happened and then (laughs) from there on you either love it or hate it (laughs) yeah you're right you're you're definitely right about that and i think there's even comparisons to the original trilogy because 
you know, he really had only written the first one and it mm-hmm. was during episode four, the new hope it's uh Darth Vader is not Luke's dad in that movie. That's that was decided later on. Wait, uh, wait, like, what? Darth Vader is Luke's dad. <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. I just spoiled it. Gosh, um, dang it, man. <laughs> uh, shoot. Now I forgot what I was saying. So He's not his dad. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah, yeah, like yeah. Darth is clearly Darth Vader's first name in A New Hope like, because people <laughs> call him Darth many times. Not Vader. Yes. They call him Darth. And he like he hadn't decided that that was a moniker yet. And then <laughs> you know, so he made it up. But it, <laughs> and then uh, Empire Strikes Back was kind of polarizing when it came out. And then it was in hindsight that people started realizing how good it was. Yeah. And then the third one, you know, that was another new director who kind of came in and they, you know, the Ewoks, they made it mostly a kids movie full uh-huh. of plot holes. Yeah. And <laughs> I guess people, you know, they don't judge it as harshly just because it was still unprecedented. So, mm-hmm. and it was still Star Wars. It's like, yeah. It's like, why judge it? It's more of what we like. But now mm-hmm. we've got all these comparisons to draw. But again, the, this is a very long winded way of saying if you like Star Wars, like Star Wars. If, if you don't like it, I don't know why you're listening to this episode. <laughs> yeah if you're still here by this point <laughs> kudos to you and you probably enjoy star wars enough <laughs> yeah well we we came on this episode to talk and discuss star wars which is exactly what we're doing so um yeah totally and now okay. let's draw comparisons to our childhood back in the 90s we talked about <laughs> rogue squadron now uh-huh. i know we've got some history with star wars episode one racer on the n64 yeah, which, but we've talked about this. What, but okay, what do you have to add? What do I have to add? Uh, if you don't get, if you don't have a chance to play it, pick it up because which you it's can. Fun. It's on Switch now. Yeah, you really can. It's on Switch. Uh, but notice the difference in frame rate from what you remember versus what you're seeing now. I really hope they change this up for the Switch. But on the N64, it's really hard to play these days because the frame rate is so low and the resolution is just so bad that the, 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 the render distances and speeds are almost impossible to um, to play effectively. So if you do play it, make sure that you've got an open mind. <laughs> yeah, and I'd be curious to see the comparison of the one on Switch. I'm pretty sure the one on Switch is going to be pretty smooth, but I just remember on the N64, it, it, it's, it's hard to play these days because of the... Uh, because of the level of detail in some levels it really slows the frame rate down i think it's the it's the game that made um that made me enjoy the pod racing scene even more in the movie and me wanting to watch it multiple times just for the pod racing scene yeah i think one of my favorite parts about the pod racing scene and a lot of movies get this right now is the silence I guess what I'm trying to say is like they edit it in a way where it's just natural sounds for most of the race, but then, but then tense music doesn't set in. Tense music doesn't come in until like uh, near the end. Ah, but then I just, I love that, that immersive feel of movie scenes that do that where it's just no music, just loud racing engines and 
it's, yeah. it's tense that way too. I totally. I love it. There's something raw about it. It's awesome. talked a lot about star wars and i think we should go ahead and bring it to the conclusion excellent and we're going to wrap it up of course with our top five lists jake and i have made a list of five things and we're going to compare them for everything we have in common we get one point for everything we have in the same position on our list we get three points our current record (laughs) is four points we are bad at this yeah, today, and this one's probably going to be bad. Oh, no. <laughs> right. No, this one's going to be great, right? <laughs> I hope so. So today we are going to do a top five list of our favorite Star Wars ships across hmm. all of Star Wars, not just the prequels. And we also included land vehicles in this as well. So I, I guess our pool to get this wrong is, is pretty large, but we'll find out. Yeah, at the very least, you'll be getting a lovely lesson in um, Star Wars history and uh, universe here. Oh, I have no historical facts prepared for this, so (laughs) it's all on you. Awesome, me neither. But you'll learn about the names of ships, right? Oh yeah, the (laughs) names they already know. Without further ado, uh, let's do it. So Jake, I'll go first. My number number five favorite Star Wars ship is the X-Wing. The X-Wing. Ayo, that's on my list. All right. So I like the X-Wing just because it's super iconic, of course. And yeah. it's Luke's. It's Poe's. It's Ray gets to fly Luke's. Um, anyway, I don't know. It's the, the X-Wing's iconic. It's a cool shape. And I've got the Lego. I've got two Lego X-Wings. And they're just, they're fun. I like it. Actually, yeah, I've got same here. I've got all the Lego sets of the ships on my list today. Uh, really? What? What are you fun, talking fun about? Fun fact, people don't have kids. Buy toys for yourself. <laughs> they don't get broken, and they can stay on display <laughs> longer, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, my number five is the lovely Karelian Engineer legally modified YT thirteen hundred transport that we all love, the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's on my list. Cool beans. Two points. This All is right. a good start. Knock on wood. Tell me about it. Yeah, so I love the Millennium Falcon just because it was the second uh, ship that I was ever introduced to in the Star Wars universe, and it was also the first ship that I ever got as a toy growing up. So I would play with that thing all the time, even though most of the pieces got missing. It was fun. And there's so many compartments, and it's just so cool to to think about. Yeah, so I, I love it I do too. I think that. I'm gonna make the pretentious comparison. You know how people are like, "Oh, New York is a is a character itself in this movie, <laughs> right?" No, the Millennium Falcon is a character itself throughout Star Wars, and it's great. That it is. It is quite great. All right, I've got a Han it to you right there. Sorry, that was bad. You got a Han it to me. <laughs> Yeah, that was what, pretty bad. What's that pun even supposed to be? Han Solo, piloting yeah, no, Millennium but... Falcon. I've right. got to hand it to you. Oh, hand it. Okay. Well, you should yeah. have said it like like Lando. He says hand. Yeah. Ha, 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 ha. All right, moving on. That's true. My number four is the TIE Fighter. 
Ooh, the TIE Fighter. That was not on my list. Oh, but you know what? I, it was almost on my list. That's a great uh, ship, though. Tell us about it, Cameron. So I love the TIE Fighter. For one, it's simplicity. Two, it's got a bunch of really cool variations. Mm. Um, the TIE Interceptor. And more particularly, I really like the First Order one that is in Force Awakens with it's all black. It's got some mm -hmm. highlights of red. And, but more importantly, the sound design. Yeah. Like, I don't know who came up with that. It's so unique, but awesome. It is just such a cool sound roaring through space. It sounds, <laughs> if you've ever seen the video on YouTube, it sounds very much like a basset hound. As it's <laughs> creeping through space. As it's howling. Oh, geez. That's, I'm not going to get that out of my head now. You're right. <laughs> that sounds so cool. I do love the way it sounds, too something like that but yeah a little, little lower right. what is no no what's your anyway number four? my number four is the swoop bike or the speeder bike swoop bike oh all right from yeah. the biker scouts in episode six right yes yes it's, it's really cool i had the toy that you could use the remote control for with the oh. uh, with the scout bikers and it was also neat because that was probably my favorite level in um, Shadows of the Empire on N64 where you get to ride the swoop bike across Tatooine and through Mos oh. Eisley. So for that reason I forgot I about that. that. Yeah, it was neat. Cool. <laughs> so anyway, so, that's my number four. Good choice but not on my list. Mm. My number three, another icon here, the AT-AT. Oh, the AT-AT. at-at. Awesome. Very cool. Um, Those are neat. These, they're so ominous. They're so impractical. But just seeing them slowly make their way to the base and Hoth, like, it's just, it's awesome. I love it. Talk about build-up, right? I really right? don't know. Yeah, I don't really know how uh, to describe it beyond that. Do you know what AT-AT stands for? I believe the first two are all-terrain, and then I don't know the next two. Armored transport. Armored transport. Okay. Even though they're not all-terrain, it seems like they trip. <laughs> <laughs> if they can Pretty get tripped easily. by a uh, tow cable, then <laughs> how am I going to trust this to walk on rocks? That's but, a um, very good point. That's awesome. It's also a really neat accomplishment in special effects, watching them. With the with the go motion or the stop motion animation process, yeah. so those are really neat. It's it's not on my list, sadly, but mm. <laughs> they're really awesome. This was kind of a hard list to make, to be fair. It was. <laughs> I, f I figured we'd have more icons in common, but we'll see. Two's so, two's good. Two's good so far. So we we actually yeah. only have one more opportunity to score points. Okay. But okay. Let's see. What's your number three? Uh, my number three was the Y wing. Why? 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 Ha ha ha. ting. So this was awesome. And it is awesome because it's armored and it's got bombing awesome powers to it. Yeah. Particularly in Rogue Squadron. That's why I love yeah. it so much. Do a lot of bombing damage with that. You can get shot a lot and you don't get killed that fast. So the Y-Wing. Alongside the X-Wing is very amazing because it is very strong. So, the Y-Wing. Okay. Uh, yep. So, my number two was the Millennium Falcon, which we talked about. 
Cool beans. What's your two? My two is the pod racer. Oh, dang it. No more points. Oh, <laughs> too bad. I almost put this on there, yeah, but I probably would have gone with Sebulba's pod racer. Okay. Over okay. Anakin's. All right. Because yeah. I love how giant his turbines are compared yep. to his little sled and the sound <laughs> effect. The sound design on his pod racer is awesome. It is. And he's also quite the cheater. He's got his little gadgets and apparatus along the side that can <laughs> blow people to smithereens. I guess so. But, but So why do you like... Uh, I, I assume you're talking about Anakin's. Anakin's, Anakin's, Sebulba's, Clegg Holdfast, Gazgano, everyone. Okay, just Star Wars Episode One Racer. Yeah, that, that's what got me started on them. And on top of that, it was my favorite scene from Episode One. I used to have a whole yeah. sketchbook full of pod racer designs too. It's probably still somewhere in the basement, back uh, oh, cool. back in the U.S. But yep, <laughs> love pod racers. So I'll say, one of the more disappointing moments for me in actually in both new movies so in last jedi there's a scene where they're on canto bite and mm-hmm. rose they, they hear rumbling in the distance and she's like oh is that what i think it is and my mind immediately goes to rumbling casino planet betting on pod racing and <laughs> I, I thought maybe there's pod races happening outside and it's like oh no just these weird cat horses darn it <laughs> and then yeah. i tried to stay as blind as I could to Rise of Skywalker trailers just to go in without knowing anything but I caught a glimpse mm-hmm. of them like speeding through the desert on some speeders mm-hmm. it's like oh are those pod racers are they bringing them back <laughs> bringing the whole series full circle no they weren't but they did have stormtroopers with jetpacks which was pretty cool cool beans All right, I'll cool move beans on indeed so last number one on my list is the slave one Jango oh. and Boba Fett's ship. So Slave I really like this one. ship because it kind of looks like a helicopter in landing position, but then it flies vertically. It lands horizontally, flies vertically. It's very kind of unnatural. Yeah. I just, I love that about it. I love the Fets. I think they're just cool. I, of course, everyone thinks that. Yeah. Um, but also, in particular, we get to see it more in action in episode two when Django drops the seismic charges behind him in the asteroid field. And again, Mm -hmm. sound design. Star Wars nails sound design. And the seismic charges blowing up in the asteroid field is probably one of... If we were to list my top scenes in all of Star Wars, it's up there. It's definitely in the top five. Seismic charges. Stand by. doesn't it it sounds so cool all right Tell yeah you're number one i almost put slave one on my list i really did <laughs> i should have holy cow but my number one was the x-wing mm. for the reasons right, i talked about point. earlier yeah. first ship i ever saw loved playing with it i had the lego sets and it was the first one that i tried to build without any lego sets too so oh, just with your imagination Mega, mega failure, though. 
<laughs> yeah. Well, all right, that's not that's not bad. I think we all had we both had some good submissions, even though it was only two points in total. Uh, fun to talk about. There's some yeah. awesome. I mean, give Star Wars crap as much as you want for story and, and plot holes and all that. But when it comes to the artistic design throughout these movies, it's all so good. It really is. There's there's something neat to be said about it. Yeah. Plenty of neat things. Very neat. All right. Jake, that brings us to the end of our 90s Star Wars discussion. Does it now? It does. The end it was fun. to this one journey but the start to many more adventures. Absolutely. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. It really was. <laughs> All right. All well, right. let's let's wrap it up, Cameron. All right. How do we want to wrap it up? We got more good stuff coming to you. Uh, who knows? We'll go on forever. We'll keep making stuff as long as Jake's in Japan. And then we'll yeah. probably keep making them if you ever come home. But, but then we've we, got... won't, we won't tell anyone that you're back in America. Yeah. I'll... I'll, I'll I'll not reveal that information to anyone. So, yeah, let's let's just keep that a total secret. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> thank you so much for listening. Please give us feedback. We want to hear from you, so that way we can make an episode about your comments, your concerns, things that you want to say because you deserve to be included. If you've listened this far, you definitely deserve to be included. So, yes, again, and what's cooler region, than a personal shout-out, too? Uh, personally? I don't know. <laughs> that is regionunlockedpodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a, a five-star review on iTunes, and uh, we would appreciate that. All right? All yes. right. All right. We'll say thank you, too. So with that, my name's Cameron. And I'm Jake. May the Force be with you. <laughs>